you're listening to the Celtics Life Podcast. Welcome inside the Celtics Life Podcast. With the trade deadline booming this Thursday, there's a lot to discuss from Greg Monroe to Marcus Smart and a lot more in between. We'd like to take a moment to thank our listeners also for their five-star ratings, helping us to reach more listeners like you. So if you haven't already, please consider joining your peers and supporting our show. That said, let's jump into this full plate of topics we've got so far. I'm here with Justin Quinn. Justin, how's it going? It's going pretty good so far. Greg Monroe, what does he mean to the Celtics in in picking him up with this this designated player exception? It's pretty complicated. I mean, he still hasn't inked it, and we can talk about more about why that happened or hasn't happened in a little bit. First of all, for those who don't know, he has reportedly picked the Celtics over the Pelicans, who would be his hometown team. Uh, He grew up just outside of New Orleans. But they only had $2.2 million and a lot of playing time to give him. Now, we offered him reports are coming back $5 million. That'll be not the entire designated player exception. And some people will be saying already, well, it was for $8.4 million. Why isn't it for the whole thing? And the answer really is for maneuverability in terms of this season and going into the future, which we can also talk about in a couple of seconds. Now, for an understanding, you cannot use, so they can't use the remaining 3.4, right? The Celtics? They can use the money it will save them from adding to the payroll because we can only re-sign Greg Monroe for 120% of the current salary he'll be having. So that'd be $6 million. But because of, there was a really good uh, primer on this. Uh, I, I don't like sending people to ESPN for personal reasons, but they, <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not a fan of the company. Uh, I'll yeah. leave it at that. And, but they did put out a really, really good uh, article today, basically much more succinctly describing what I've been ranting and raving about in terms of why it's so good to keep Marcus smart, why we have to be careful with who we sign for what, and in terms of you know resignability, which is going to come up again later on in the podcast. We are we are looking at a situation where only five or six teams are going to have. Maybe according according to this one, I think it's seven now. Teams are going to have next season, uh, who are going to have the cap space that could beat out the full mid level except the taxpayer mid level exception. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar, that lets a team who is over the cap sign a player who is up to eight point. I think it's 8.8 million next season. I had to check to be sure. It's 8.5 this and it increases next season. I'm pretty sure it's 8.8, but don't hold me to that. Normally, if it was not for a player with only one year on their deal or one or two year on their deal, you couldn't you can, you know, re-sign your own guys with bird rights or at least early bird rights. But if you only have them for one or two seasons, then you you don't have bird rights on them and that that limits you to 120% of their, their salary in the year that you sign them, whether it's by trade or whether it is by, you know, just a one-year contract. And probably some of you are snoring by now, but the really simple version of it is you can just pay one-year guys 20% more than they're earning in one season unless another team bids on them in free agency, and then you can offer up to the level of the mid-level exception. So even then, in well, the best-case scenario, we could offer Greg Monroe up to $8.8 million next season 
as long as nobody offers him 8.8 and $1, if you get what I'm saying. So, yes. So, okay. Now, with all that being said, I think you're getting so far ahead because we have not seen him play a single game in Kelly Green. And I would like, I would like to ask, do you think he's going to be a good fit for this team? Not even long term. I'm talking just in the next, what, what are we at now? We're at game 50-something? But how, okay, for the rest of the season and then through the playoffs, do you think that he's going to be a significant contributor? Do you think this is going to have a very good fit with this team? Obviously, there's not a ton of minutes to go around, but you know he'll he'll get some some he's time. He's been doing really good in Phoenix when they had him play, but he hasn't played very much because they were trying to not win too much. They control their pick, and they're 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 one of the hardest tanking teams in the league right now. So. Yeah, and we haven't seen him play extensively since really his first year in Milwaukee. I mean, he did very well off the bench in Milwaukee, but you know, ultimately was traded to Phoenix. Correct. correct. That was for the uh, Drew. Excuse me, it's Eric Bledsoe. I'm still thinking about football. Yeah. Eric Bledsoe. Now, yeah, sorry, it's kind of <laughs> hard. It's the day after, and well, we won't get into that. I'm sure none of us really want to think about that too much. No, no, it's important to stay away from football for the time being. So let's let's stick so with Monroe. Greg Monroe. Is he going to be? I so here's here's the thing. If people are thinking, you know, Detroit Monroe, where he was starting and you know logging double doubles almost every time he took the floor. Don't get your hopes up. He'll probably get close to that in terms of good matchups. Like, he is going to, like, think of him kind of depending on how his play pans out, whether defense or offense is needed. He's going to be a very useful tool in the playoffs, and that where he lacks, Aaron Baines is good, and vice versa, in terms of offense versus defense. He offers a much better post position. He can obviously score a lot better, but his defense is kind of lacking, whereas Baines has been in the top 10 in the NBA this this season in, in terms of defense. So as long as you and he temper their expectations so that way you understand that he's more of a spark plug scorer off the bench, it's going to work pretty good, I think. If anybody comes into this with expectations, sorry. Is he, is he immediately the best rebounder on the Celtics? You know, he's probably the best rebounding big man, but Terry's Terry's got some all up. Yeah, I was going to say, Terry (laughs) Rozier. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting because they're both rebounding not too far apart from each other. Terry was actually close to his rebound rate earlier in the season. He's dropped off a little bit, but he's actually pretty close. And when you account for the fact that, you know, point guards aren't usually the guy that you expect to get rebounds from, best rebounder on the team becomes kind of murkier. You know, you say that, but the Celtics have notoriously been under Brad Stevens. It's been the guard who's been the best rebounder. Avery Bradley last year was leading the Celtics in rebounds for the first half of the season. You know, it's like, obviously Isaiah can't grab boards because he's only five foot eight, barely. But, you know, Avery was, was grabbing boards. I think before that, Evan Turner was grabbing a lot of boards. He's a small forward, but still, yeah, I mean, those rebounds were going mostly to the guards and to the, the backcourt. Is that Brad Stevens' system, or is that just because lack of bigs who can rebound? Well, I mean, to a certain extent, it's also the league in general has not been paying too much attention to offensive rebounds and the style that they play. Particularly when you shoot a lot of shots from the perimeter, it tends to send a lot of shots back out in that direction and away from, from the restricted area. So 
because of that, I do think that you are onto something. He definitely does boost the the wing players and the guard players' ability to get rebounds. But I, I will definitely place at least some of the blame last season on just the fact that nobody, and I mean nobody, was boxing out. True. Very true. So let's let's move this then to what you said earlier of hasn't actually inked the deal yet. He is in Boston, according to reporters today, which is Monday. So he's in Boston, ready to sign the deal, but it seems like the Celtics are going to wait until after the trade deadline. Why is that valuable to hold off on that one roster spot and two, putting that five some million dollars onto the, the payroll? Depending on who they're trying to deal for, and it's really too complicated. It doesn't really lend itself to podcasting. Um, but we put out some some good stuff today. You and I both actually uh, related to this in terms of Marcus Smart uh, resigning him in the future and dealing with longer term salary as well as who they're trying to make moves for this season. Once you're in the tax, you you can only do 125 percent plus 100 thousand for trades. To, to summarize, you have way more flexibility when you are trying to agglomerate smaller contracts into a larger one. Uh, and then longer term, you also have the situation where, and I'm not going to dive into this because it's way too complicated, but the repeater tax. You've already, you've already, do- you've already gotten pretty far into it. <laughs> no, I know, but I mean, just like throwing this at people, I don't want people to fall asleep. So yeah. So just just look at it this way. The very very simple way to say this is doing the deals with Monroe waiting allows us a better look at who we can get this year in terms of flexibility and in the future it will help us avoid both the repeater tax which is what happens if you're in a tax too many years in a short span of time. It also helps us prevent a situation where we can't deal for, say, a sign-in trade. Because once you are very far into the tech, what's called the apron, then you're no longer allowed to take sign-in trade deals in, which in a very tightly constricted cap environment with very few teams being able to add free agents without a sign-in trade, and a lot of teams trying to get off of deals, that's a very valuable tool to, to lose. So the very short version is Even- that... Fundamentally, too, it's also just the number of roster spots, right? So that we, before signing him, we have the ability to trade for two people. Exactly. And then, and then can waive one of them and then sign Monroe versus if somehow a trade manifests that we need to get you know, only, you know, we need to get two for some reason, but we have already signed Monroe, we'd have to waive somebody who's already on the existing roster in order to make that trade possible. So it's a combination of the money and then also just the fundamental just number of players that we have at this moment, right? Okay, so then who are we targeting? We, we saw reports today, and you can check out Celtics Life for you know everything that we know so far about the Nuggets taking interest in Marcus Smart after he was essentially put in the trading block on Saturday by... Danny Ainge saying that, you know, they're interested in a first round pick for Marcus Smart. Uh, you know, I'm sure that there are other GMs making calls that we haven't heard about, but who are we looking for? And is Emmanuel Moutier one of those players? Well, Moutier is someone Denver wants us 
to want. And on the surface of it, and I believe in your article, you put your finger right on it that just a swap for the two of them really isn't enough. You know, Moutier is not a bad player. He shoots better, though not great. His defense is kind of like the opposite of Marcus Smart's. It's just bad. That extra year of rookie contract puts us in a position where we kick the can down the road in terms of, you know, having to re-sign another player while also trying to avoid the repeater tax. And, you know, in theory, if we could get like a first round pick of any value, basically anything other than a leap first, in my opinion, it might be worth doing just for that additional flexibility. As much as I love Marcus Smart's defense, you know, I have been saying for literally years now that the lack of shot selection has, has turned a bad but not terrible offensive player if you remove the really bad heaves and just places he shouldn't be shooting. It just turns him into one of the, the NBA's worst shooters. Well, we also, yes, and that's that's true. And I think that really hurts his trade stock and, and the ability of the Celtics to get a first-round pick. And maybe I'm getting a little bit too deep into this or I'm reading too much into it, but I feel like, in part, Danny shopping Marcus Smart right now is almost dropping his value in free agency. Oh, of course it is. And saying, look, we can't find suitors for you who want to trade a first-round pick. Like You're not going to find the money that you need out there. Let's, let's re-sign you for... You know, five to at most eight million dollars, which is very unrealistic, and I don't think that's possible. But that would be what the Celtics want for Marcus Smart. But is this? Is, do you think this is a way that they're dropping his value in a sense? Because I, I don't think that Danny Edge wants to necessarily trade him, and I don't think that there's going to be a deal that will materialize that will make it even possible to trade Marcus Smart for a first round pick, and then you know everything else to to make it work. I think we've established that Danny Edge is ice cold when it comes to wanting or not wanting to trade people. He'll do the, th- the deal that is in the Celtics' best interest, and I'm just not sure that anyone is going to give a deal that's in the Celtics' best interest. Because like I said, a lot of his value to us is being able to re-sign a guy who is going to be on a depressed contract because of the cap situation at the same time we really need to be watching our expenses. If we can't get something back that helps us do that without necessarily doing more than a lateral move. Like if we, if we move backwards, future assets aren't useful to what Danny's trying to do right now, in my opinion. Really? Why, why do you say that? Well, it's pretty clear that, you know, against all odds, I don't want to get too dramatic here, but with the Gordon Hayward injury being what it was, and then the run happening and us looking like real contenders without him, it's, it's clear that we have to put some stock into this season. We have to make a really concerned, I mean, Greg Monroe would not be in our conversation right now if this wasn't the case. There's a very good chance that you would just let that DPE expire and not risk bumping yourself into the the tax to to basically be able to make your your situation more affordable long-term. So we've gotten some pretty clear telegraph signs as if you need them really, in my opinion, that we are going to try to go in this year. Not all in. I don't think we're going to see you know, any Anthony Davis-type trades. It could happen. You know, This could be a stepping stone, all of this, this business we've been talking about the last few minutes. But I don't expect that. I expect the priority to be either to mitigate medium-term uh, finance issues like we just discussed mm-hmm. or, or to add scoring that significantly boosts our chances of winning a title without impacting 
longer term finance stuff at the same time. So there's a lot to think about in this podcast. And I apologize that it's going to be so financially motivated, but that's where we're at right now. And it's a really complicated maze. I'm constantly second guessing myself. I'm probably getting a lot of stuff wrong. I think a lot of people, I've, I won't name names, but I saw some people make some very embarrassing mistakes in terms of who can do what with which exceptions and whatnot and they shouldn't feel bad either because there's there's so many moving parts going on right now and with the cap being what it is it's going to be a crazy crazy couple of days so we will stray away from this this finance stuff as we get into the, the rest of the podcast but you, you mentioned that we're trying to pick up a score, and Greg Monroe is, is a step towards that. It, it, assuming that this is not part of a bigger plan of like trading for someone else, it, which it doesn't seem like it is, at least the Monroe aspect, because we haven't signed him yet. So yeah, he won't be tradable for some time anyway. So you were, okay, great. So that that can, that fills that narrative. But we need scoring, correct? And Gordon Hayward, right now we're bailing water out of the boat. Gordon Hayward is like part of a new boat, a new ship, and he is the scoring that we're lacking when Kyrie Irving is not on the court. He's that proven scorer that we picked up, the guy that we intended on being our third all-star, who really should be, except obviously for obvious reasons he's not playing. Does this indicate that Gordon Hayward will return after Danny Ainge says that this upcoming month is you know, going to be crucial to see if he will return in time for the playoffs. But I, I know that's that's kind of reading into what Danny had said, but he said this next month is going to be crucial for Gordon Hayward. I think we all expect him to come back. I think we all do. I think they're saying the right things in case he can't, you know, so no one can say, well, you said he could come back. And they're making True. decisions correctly, I would add, along the lines of the decisions you should make when you don't know if that player is going to be back. So, I mean, it's, it's, that's a whole extra dimension that is not getting spoken about enough because, as you kind of alluded to, if he does come back, then we, we really don't need to make these moves. And at that point, we just have to purely think about finance, like how we're going to pay these people without making our tax bill so expensive longer term that we might end up having to let go a key player, a la James Harden in Oklahoma City. So, scoring. Tyreek Evans has been the major link. Lou Williams has been the other of the two players that the Celtics are still pursuing after the Greg Monroe almost signing or future signing or however you want to describe it. Those have been the two names that are major. Is there anyone else that you think that the Celtics should be looking at if those guys aren't options? You and I were talking about Willie Hernan Gomez today, not as like a serious option, but you know he said today that he wants out of New York along with most of the, the roster that is the dumpster fire of the New York Knicks, but there's, you know, there's a lot of guys like that. I mean, you mentioned also, um, oh, not Napier. I forget the other Shabazz's last name. I always confuse the two. Yeah, Shabazz Muhammad. On but actually, both of those guys could be left field options along with people like Atlanta's Bellini or Ilyasova, uh, Miami's Wayne Ellington, though I really think they're going to hang on to him despite him being 30. Doesn't really seem very sensible to me considering it's going to be several years for them to contend, but whatever, not my organization. The one guy who stands out in my head, and he has been linked to the Celtics a couple of times, is Rodney Hood. He gets injured a lot, which is one of the reasons that he is being not considered as heavily, but also because Utah found Donovan Mitchell, found, found money for them. Boston could use his scoring this season, and if we ended up having to let him walk or, you know, 
he's very, very cheap. He's like, I think he's just a hair of two million. So having both on your team at the same time would probably put you in a virtual certain position where at least one of them wasn't going to get an offer greater than you can afford to pay them. So you'd end up walking away with at least one of the two of Marcus Smart and him. You could also just flip them, but in my mind, then you just kind of basically, you know, got a lot of offense and not a lot of defense for a lot of defense and not a lot of offense. Pick your poison. Are we overvaluing Marcus Smart's defense? No. However, you, you listen to my po- listen to, to my arguments on the podcast with Luis last week, I think. Mm-hmm. And also, I, 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 I believe I, I believe that Marcus Smart is, is a great defender. But at the same time, something like six Celtics are in the top ten in defensive rating individually. Well, so is he. He's one of them. And that can't be ignored. But what isn't also being ignored is those horrible shots selection that he's been taking. We are a lot more forgiving because we see what he can do for us. And maybe we're even a little too attached to it. But, you know, misses are turnovers. You can call them misses and pretend that there's something else. But unless you get the offensive rebound, you just committed a turnover. And he commits a lot of them. So, I mean, if you eliminate the, the offensive rebounds that Boston gets back over his stupid shots, you're still probably looking at one of the higher turnover to scoring ratios in the entire is league. There, I mean, so, and I say this because, you know, the, the, the Celtics have won four straight now. Marcus Smart has been out for five, six of those, you know, because uh, you know we're five of six without yeah, him. Only lost to Golden State in the interim. Five and yeah. one without him. Yeah. And, you know, obviously that Golden State game, we really, really could have used his defense <laughs> because it was largely Shane Larkin and a lot of times rookie Jason Tatum guarding former MVP, two-time MVP, Admirable job, but I mean, what do you expect? Absolutely. Yes, and so I think Marcus Smart would have made a very big difference in that game. And then if you're thinking about, because it's likely that you would see Golden State in the finals, it would be nice to have a Marcus Smart defending a guy like Steph Curry or Clay It's a good point. Rather than, than one of those two. But, you know, is is he, again, are we valuing his defense too much? Are we saying we can't trade Marcus Smart because you know he's just, he makes these winning plays, but we have you know a five and one record when he's been gone with his hand injury since that that game losing three attempt? It's really hard to say. I mean, to Boston he is infinitely valuable, particularly if we really think that we're going to make it to the finals. You know, there's very few people who can defend Golden State like he can. We sent away a guy who could do something like that. Avery Bradley. Our other two guys, I mean, Bradley and Crowder were both, you know, they, they were able to defend, Crowder especially was able to defend anybody. And Bradley was able to stick with both the, the guards. So, you know, that was that was two of our defenders. And then to, to ditch the third would be, I think, catastrophic. But maybe I'm overvaluing him. That's why I'm asking. It's really, you know, I think you'd really have to dive into the numbers. And I, I, I suspect that what you're going to see is very, very close and situation like you, you basically put your finger on it in terms of noting that in a lot of a lot of regular games a lot of the regular season games he's not very useful but we've seen him in the playoffs he becomes a much better and much more useful player well yeah i mean he had that game against washington where he, he drilled like five 
five or six. Yes, exactly what I was thinking of. I mean, that, that was that was that was a day that, that Mark and I we that was after we invented smart shots. It was a really 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 <laughs> horrible moment for us in a great yes. way. You know, it was worth it in the end, but at the same time, painful. But you know, I, I say this because you know we're looking at this, and again, this could also drop his value in free agency. Of hey, you know what, Terry Rozier is killing it without you. Terry Rozier is is picking up a triple double in his first career start ever, and then puts up thirty the next night. No one in history has ever done that in their first two starts, and Terry Rozier just did it without Marcus Smart. It, he's been behind him in the depth chart for his entire career. You know, Marcus Smart's gotten a bunch of starts, so. Again, this drops his value, but and I think back to something that Bill Simmons once said on his podcast that you value your hometown guys more. And he actually he said Marcus Smart. He thinks of Marcus Smart as a B plus, while the rest of the NBA might think of him as a B or a B minus. You're putting him mm-hmm. on an A to F scale. And you know, I I think that yeah, we think of Marcus Smart as this awesome player because we've seen these winning plays where he rips away the ball under the basket to get an offensive rebound, but it's a steal and he finds a guy in the wing for a three and somehow wins the game. It's like, we can point to Marcus Smart and say, you won us that game. But, you know, again, you say that the, the threes are turnovers and these horrible shots that he takes and, and the lack of scoring that he supplies. Where is kind of the value without diving deep into those numbers? Because like you said, we could really look at this from an analytical perspective and kind of decide, but where do you think the value actually lies on that A to F scale, and do you think that other teams? Are I think that is the easiest. That? To, that last part is the easiest part to answer. No teams, <laughs> save maybe a couple of playoff teams, value him the way that we do. There is, you know, an argument to be made that the Brad Stevens effect is at least partially responsible for how good of a player he is. I've heard that brought to me by by several of my friends who are not Celtics fans, and to say what the value is, it's it's. He's very important for what Boston does, but we've also seen, as you pointed out, that we can do pretty well without him in the right contexts. Now, the the alternatives that people have been floating around a lot, like Evans, for example, terrible, well, not terrible, but he's, he's nowhere near as good on defense, much more offensively oriented player, to be um, fair, that's exactly what was said about Kyrie Irving for the first two months. No, you're right. Celtics. You are absolutely right. And the same can be made for Williams as well. You know, he's kind of a revolving door on, on, on defense. But they're both much more, you know, it's a different way to approach it. And with so many other guys who have established themselves as, as top defensive players besides Marcus, it's almost like we have regenerated some of those players. So is, is this a result of Brad Stevens? Or is this – because, you know – Avery's been dealing with a, with a groin injury for most of the season, so it's probably not fair to, to use his his example uh, as indicative of, of this. But a lot of players really fall off, particularly on the defensive end, when they move to a new team. I mean, you look at Jay Crowder, you look at Isaiah Thomas. Do he also again is not a good example necessarily? Uh, even Evan Turner was a better defensive player when he was with us than, than when he left. So, yeah. The, that, short... Yeah, and that's something I brought up in, in our chat, and I was I was trying to find think of players. But of Jared Selinger is a big one. I thought Amir Johnson was a good example because he's been healthy, and he's gotten less minutes. So obviously that makes it harder to to make that comparison because he's been a lot further down the depth chart with 
you know an all-star center in front of him but you know it's 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 pretty clear looking at these guys who you know come from an elite defense in the Celtics under Brad Stevens for the past couple of years and then going to other teams and just dropping off significantly. And I'd argue on both sides of the floor. I know that Brad Stevens is not much of an offensive-minded coach necessarily, but I, I feel like the players just get worse going to other teams. I, I can't think of a player who's gotten better going to another team. Not yet. I, I think that you pointed to one guy. I don't remember who it was, but I think you pointed to like one or two guys who – yeah, I, I remember I, I dug it up and somebody did get better, but I can't remember. Off like Kelly Olenek, but he's getting more minutes. Yeah, that was the guy. Kelly Olenek's yep. getting more minutes. Yep. Darning. Uh, I mean, arguably Jordan Mickey, because he's also getting more minutes, but even then, he's still pretty far down the depth chart. So, you know, you've got guys who, who made slight improvement, but it, it comes with kind of a caveat of, well, they're playing a lot more. So, like, their I mean, numbers are better, but. Yeah. And, and they're, yeah, obviously, they're, you know, they're get inching closer to their primes so that makes a difference but i don't think the players get better when they leave the celtics i think that and i've said it time and time again i think brad stevens unlocks potential in so many players and i think it's especially on the defensive end but i think that translates over to offense you know it, it goes a long way when you when you kind of lock down and and focus on you know making the stops and then turning it into offense and that usually you know one leads to the other pretty easily but they just get worse going everywhere else. And I, we need to find more numbers to quantify it. And we're not there yet. You know, Brad Stevens only been coaching for a couple of years. But there haven't been any success stories of guys coming from the Celtics and going elsewhere. There's been kind of an injury bug going around. Marcus Smart being one of them. But that, that's not much with on-court injuries. But, you know... Kyrie is at least traveling with the seas to Toronto. But, you know, he's been out for four games now? I believe so, yeah. Along with all the other dudes who are broken. I mean, yeah, you got the small guys. You got Ron Baker, who's who's getting shoulder surgery. He's going to be out for the rest of the year. But then you have the big names. Kevin Love with that hand injury. Fortunately, he's not going to need surgery. DeMarcus Cousins with the Achilles tear. Uh, John Wall, who I think is having minor what's his i forgot what his injury is he's got he's got this nagging knee issue and he's going in to get it taken care of early enough where he'll be able to come back this season but they're gonna take a big step back behind because of that but he's far from i mean we've got demarcus cousins with with the achilles that that could really change the way that you know the off seasons ends up going with him being up you know, he's an expiring contract now, and who knows how he's going to play. Like, Kevin Love's injury is, you know, I mean, we've got, you know, Dan Gilbert talking about how he's not going to pay the tax if LeBron leaves, and he's been making moves since before the season even started to to put, you know, Cleveland in a post-LeBron kind of frame of mind. Mike Conley is, I mean, he's been out for some time anyway, but now he's out, out I guess, you know, really, yeah. really super-duper out whatever that means. But, yeah, they're committed to actually doing that, yeah. Yeah, so he, like, there's, there could be a lot of a lot of crazy stuff about to happen anytime now. I mean, it really looks to me like Cleveland is trying to do something to set itself up for when LeBron leaves because he's going to leave. I, just, I, I don't see any conceivable path for him staying in that city anymore. And You had said that this injury maybe expedites the process of the rebuild and that they give up 
Yeah, because without him, right, it maybe, was a bunch yeah, of games. Am I am I paraphrasing? Am no, I paraphrasing? No, that's exactly what I think. I mean, exactly what I think. Did they tap out? Just because he's got. I, I guess yeah, to, to say we're talking about the Cavaliers. Yeah. Okay. So in terms of the Cavaliers, Kevin Love breaking his hand is the perfect out for for their owner Dan Gilbert to really commit to shipping off deals that are going to hurt his chances of landing good lottery picks over the next couple of years, and more importantly to prevent him from having to pay the tax. Now, he is looking at a repeater tax that's going to make the current record holders in the Brooklyn Nets, I think it was $189 million. That is going to be eclipsed by like a $209 million repeater tax bill when you combine payroll and tax, which is you know, probably not going to happen. I, I really do think he's not going to ride it out to the end of the season and, and let LeBron make him pay a bunch of money for what? I mean, where do you, where do you even see like honest opinion, flip switching included everything you can possibly best possible case scenario for this Cavs team as currently constructed. Well, that that's why I was saying maybe they trade LeBron and and Mark was, yeah, he was saying that's impossible, but you know, technically yes, I don't think that the Cavs team has a chance because you know what this, this Cavs team, it might be the first time, that LeBron does not make the finals. I think this is the most realistic chance that we have of that. And I know that you can point to his first year back with the Cavs when Kyrie was out in the second round. Kevin Love's shoulder was ripped out by Kelly Olynyk, And, you know, all that stuff happened. And he was playing with, like, Matthew Dellavedova as the second star. And that he still brought the Warriors to, like, five or six games. Single-handedly. Granted, that was three years ago now, so he's three years older, still dominating the way that LeBron does. But this could be the first year that he has a serious challenge in every round of the East. Since when he was with the Heat and he had the Bulls and the Pacers and you know all these challenges that he faced when he was with his mega team in Miami. I think David Griffin would be better off shipping him out then ending that legacy. Dan Gilbert. Then ending that. and Yeah, sorry. It's okay. They're, they're both well, DG. Yeah. DG from Cleveland. And Altman. That's the name that I, I – last names are all that matter. Regardless, I think that it would be better – you know, he's a rookie GM. He has the right to do it if he wants to. And you know what? I think he should because I think the team would rather get something back than him just walk away again in free agency like he did – However many years ago that he went to Miami. Well, both sides are playing out the narrative that needs to happen for something like that to take place. And the supporting cast sucks in all the right ways to facilitate that. So, you know, Mark was right in that, technically speaking, LeBron can't be traded anywhere unless he wants to be traded. But well, Yeah, but I think you would accept that. And especially because he cares about Cleveland. He cares about the city. He cares about Fair the argument. I think he'd be willing to make a trade to be better. I agree. He's a businessman. He understands how all this perspective works. He understands that this is not the, the team doesn't necessarily share his passion for you know having him stay there because he might walk away in four months, five months. And if he's thinking that, there's no way he hasn't had those thoughts. That you know he's getting all these reports of like you know, he's seeing the the reports that. He could consider Golden State. He could do all this stuff. It's possible if they make the right moves. And so he absolutely has had, had thoughts about what he's doing this summer. 
And, you know, it does not look like there's any reason he should stay in Cleveland. And so maybe he comes to, to Altman before Friday, before the trade deadline, and says, hey, I'm not going to stay here. Let's work something out to make this team relevant when I leave because I care about this franchise and I care about, you know, the Cleveland fans having something to continue on with. For the same way that Chris Paul was willing to do the train and the, the sign and trade this past summer. Because he could have just bailed. He could have just left. So that is my rationale. And I think it's actually not unlikely that we see the Cavaliers shattered sometime in the next four days. And LeBron James somewhere else. I don't know where he goes. I don't know where can actually afford it. You, you had mentioned San Antonio as a possibility. San Antonio is a team. I don't know. I mean, if they they can move Lamarcus Aldridge back, and they get a pretty good return, plus whatever pieces need to be done to make it, you know, CBA legal. I would personally prefer to see him land in a place like that. He'll last longer, you know. I'm not like a lot of y'all. I don't hate LeBron. I hate his first you know, exit from, from Cleveland. Cause that was mad disrespectful to that city, but he, he grew up, he, yeah. he handled himself, you know, a lot more maturely. And as long as he's not playing us, I, I would like to see him go someplace where we get to see lots more good basketball. And I think the Spurs are probably the best destination for that. I could also see Houston. I have no idea how they pull that off because they'd have to move Ryan Anderson and no one wants Ryan Anderson, despite his recent good play. No offense, Ryan Anderson. <laughs> One of yes. our active listeners. Of course, very. Um, there's not a lot of other places. I, I saw, I think, Jeff Goodman talk about maybe uh, him helping unload some of those bad deals in uh, Portland, as long as they you know attach somebody really good like C.J. McCollum uh, to the deal. Or, you know, there's a lot of other places. Anywhere is fine. I was going to say this earlier. I just don't want to see him in Toronto. Yeah, oh tell me. God, no way. That that that's not possible. Well, I mean, right? if they wanted to give up the right pieces, they could probably pull it off. I mean, Valenciennes isn't doing anything for them, and that, oh. that's that's more than half of your your salary right there. So you really just have to come up with some parts to throw in with him. And you know, they are. I don't know exactly what they have in terms of a war chest, but they're pretty conservative with their own picks. So they could probably throw together a pair of their own picks and some other second rounders or something like that. Maybe a couple of young talents they already have. It's not inconceivable. Well, I, I believe that there is a good possibility that something happens with the Cavaliers before the deadline. And I do not think they get better at the deadline. I, I don't, I don't think that they necessarily make a last push. I don't think that they do nothing because it, it just doesn't make sense to just sit there and just kind of let it fizzle out. No, they'll pay the tax if they do. Well, no, I think because they're going to let people walk, right? Like, I mean, they can they can do some stuff once the offseason. No, the way, the way that it works is the, when on the last day of the season, whoever's on your roster is who you're paying for. So if they don't move them now, then they're going to pay for them. So they have huh. until they have till Thursday to get rid of what they don't want to pay for. Well, we'll we'll obviously have more on all this stuff and keep up with Celtics life for, you know, all the trade stuff. I mean, there, there's tons of stuff on Twitter already. You know, I saw that the, the Trailblazers right before we recorded this are in serious talks with the Clippers for DeAndre Jordan. Yep. And, yeah, you got all this stuff going on. And it's, it's going to be a fun trade deadline. But, again, I would not be surprised if the Cavs make some serious moves for the worse. 
And whether LeBron is part of that, I do not know. I would not be one to say that it won't happen. I'm not. I'm not saying that that's not possible. So I think that it's it's. I don't know if I want to say likely, but I think it's it's reasonable to say that it could happen. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't argue with that either. I think that they are, along with you just mentioned Portland two of the most likely teams to make a significant move over this deadline. If they don't, we could see a lot more quiet of a trade deadline, but it would not surprise me, particularly if either of them blinks early, that we could see a, a big flurry of activity. DeMarcus Cousins yeah, being well, the Clippers, another obvious. Yes, and, and the Clippers are kind of the start to this in that they actually ditched a star in Blake Griffin, a guy that they committed to long-term. And, and said, like, we really want to work with you. And now he's in Detroit. Avery Bradley is, is in L.A. They seem to be blowing it up. And they might expedite the process of other teams thinking, all right, this is going to be a, a deadline to remember almost. And start, you know, suddenly the, the phones start ringing. Suddenly deals start going down. And everyone kind of does what happened when Isaiah found his way to, to Boston. And just a bunch of teams just like, we got to do something. You know, we got <laughs> to figure out what to do now. And they just kind of start shipping guys from place to place. So I could totally see that and just have this flurry of moves leading up to to Friday. Well, speaking of good friend Avery Bradley, I do think since he is eligible to be moved, that he is also going to go somewhere. Maybe they won't get a first for him just because of how little time he has left on his deal and the fact that he is still nursing that almost a season long now groin injury but even even in a reduced state he can still defend pretty well and score okay so you know there are teams out there like Detroit and Cleveland who excuse me not Detroit Oklahoma City okay see yeah who could really use someone in in a playoff push that especially after Roberson went down exactly what I'm thinking of yeah so yeah you're right there are teams to be willing to bid on him I don't know if because there's so much, so many question marks with with the Thunder, of like what happens after this season. Obviously, they've got Russ locked up, but you know the, their other two stars could just bail. I mean, there, there's even a question of whether they trade Paul George, and there's conversations they may, because they don't know. You know, it. Congrats, they've built a pretty all right team, but they're not going to go to the finals. No, no chance. They've got they've got they've got too many opponents. They'd be better off trading Paul George than trying to stab off him, the Rockets or the Warriors in the second round and then take on the other in the next round. <laughs> it's just not possible. They don't have the firepower. And that's in keeping with their management style too, is, is flipping somebody before they have a chance to leave. So if they do try to hang yeah, out because to him, I'll be shocked. Pressy, he's he's one of the more frugal GMs. Like he's not going to want to – the ownership there is not going to want to pay – any luxury, you know, and, and they, for a team that they need to add a lot of pieces to actually contend with Golden State, to contend with the Rockets as they stand now. They were on the cusp of a championship with, with Harden being on, on the Thunder, and they blew it up because they didn't want to pay the tax once, never mind repeater. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I just don't think that the Thunder go all in. I, would, I, I think the Thunder actually blow it up before they try and trade for an Avery Bradley for one push, you know? But maybe that's just me. No, you know, when you, when you put it that way, I, you have a point. You know, there's a lot of people who've been connecting Avery to Oklahoma City because of Roberson, but 
in terms of if you look at Presti's management style, that is his modus operandi. So, all right, you flipped me. I, I agree. All right, cool. Well, so again, we'll have tons of stuff on Celtics life, but let's kind of move on to the rest of the podcast. We uh, we had a pretty good week after that Warriors loss. Uh, close games though, night in and night out. The the win against Denver, which was Kyrie Irving's last game. Uh, it was a good game all around. And I wrote about it, how Jason Tatum finally kind of stepped back into his, his role, put up 20 points. And, and I noticed that the last time that Jason Tatum put up more than 15 and the Celtics lost was back in December. Really? Like middle, late December. So when Jason Tatum is on, the Celtics win. Which is, I mean, it's obvious because like they need scorers and Jason Tatum is supposed to kind of fill the plug of Gordon Hayward for the time being. And when he's not scoring, it's you know, it's tough to, to find offense elsewhere. So Yeah, we only won that game, though. Yeah, he puts up those points, and it goes pretty well. We only won that game, really, because of Malone's goof at the end of it, not bringing up the ball after a timeout. You know, they could have called a timeout. And, yeah, what was that? I about? don't know, man. Like, maybe he was just caught up in the moment. Everybody has moments like that. You know, a lot of people are, like, really dogging him. But Malone's a pretty solid coach. He's not a great coach, but top half of the league coach. Guy deserves some credit. I'm glad it happened for our night. So that's all I have to say about that, really. Yeah. Uh, the next game was Terry Rozier's first career start, triple-double, which was sweet. 17, 10. That was such a fun. Yeah, 11. 10. I, I covered the recap for that, and like it was, it was a blast. Except for one thing, and this is the only thing that I'm going to say about this game. We need a rule change, so that way. Oh, did you want the mercy <laughs> no, rule? no, not the mercy <laughs> rule. That that would be good too, but <laughs> <laughs> um, when a player is hurt on the court, like Mark. Uh, Marcus Morris was, and Semi Ohale had to foul just so he could get up while they were trying to inbound the ball over a dude who's writhing in pain on the floor. That come on, somebody could get really, really hurt because of that if they aren't already. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's dangerous precedent with that, right? Because you know, I mean, a guy could just feign injury and get like a free timeout. You know? Well, yeah, sure, but I mean. Like there's there's got to be there's got to be some kind of consequence on one hand not not to play like I mean actually no I I I agree with that because in football Syracuse I'm a Syracuse grad right and Syracuse runs a no huddle offense and regularly this season the Syracuse offense would just be going downfield and then guys would start just making injuries they apparently hurt their knee and they would just kind of lay down for a while and team would catch their breath guy would go off the field then the offense would reset and go and then the next play the guy would come back in perfectly fine and they were just doing it to slow down the the team you know if there's like you know momentum shifting one direction or another team player could just kind of go down get a free timeout without any consequences so i I don't i I think that the unfortunately the rules are fine as they are i don't know i I do think that there's a way they could come up with a creative solution to this obviously this isn't my forte so i'm not going to sit here and try to extemporaneously come up with a solution. But I do think that there is a way that we can both protect players' safety and also not allow them to do what the Syracuse Orangemen do. What about the other teams that do that? Syracuse is oh, a victim Oh, I of misunderstood. That. 
yeah, no, we we are going so fast. We're killing it. We're doing great. And then one of the other team's players is like, oh, no, I need to stop this really fast offense. My knee really hurts. And they just sit down for a while. It's really not cool. Just yeah, have to say. also, but, you know, the potentiality of some guy having his leg stepped on while it's broken could be bad. Yeah, no, I... I, yeah, I know. Okay, but this isn't. I mean, this is not a pressing matter. So we'll, we'll move on. We'll, we'll talk about it. We'll find ways. You and I will find ways to debate this. I'm sure. <laughs> you and I always manage to go head to head on stuff, not on the podcast. So I'm sure that you and I will find a way to to hash this out at some other point. Um, quick, talk to me about Terry Rozier's first career start because it was also the mercy rule because that was relevant, and I wanted to see what what would happen in terms of a mercy rule well so no i mean they, they the dicks put up eight points in the fourth quarter i know there shouldn't be a mercy rule at all but they put up eight points only three other teams have scored less than a quarter this that season which is somehow I, that was astounding to me if there were less teams but the trailblazers have the record right now with six in a first quarter it was like their fifth game of the season and they put up six points in the first quarter which is so disappointing but I would not fine. be opposed, and I know it's never going to happen, but I would not be opposed to the idea where if a team puts up less than double-digit points in a quarter and are losing, they automatically forfeit the match because that's just terrible basketball to watch. I know it's not going to happen. I know it's a pipe dream, but... Yeah. Yeah, that would be that would be just like so awful for the sport. For the it was, it was <laughs> probably the uh, worst thing New York Knicks fans have had to deal with in a long time and well the New York Knicks fans so that says a lot. <laughs> That's our first like serious blowout in a really long time. Definitely the first Geno time I can remember for elite well this year. Maybe in December I want to say we had a blowout like that, but it's been a while. Just looking at our score sheet right now, the last like major blowout was against the Bulls right before yep, Christmas. That's probably what I was thinking of. One seventeen yep. ninety two. So you know, it is a month and a half ago. So, yeah, but still. Went into Atlanta after that. Uh, it should have been an easy win. It was a struggle through the first two and a half quarters. And then Terry started drilling threes like there was no tomorrow, which was pretty cool. Career high, 31 points. Tatum, career high, 27 points. Pretty sweet. Terry did not do so hot in the next game, though. Granted... You know, I mean, Portland has the arguably second-best backcourt in the NBA, I think. I would say. I think Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum are nasty. Offensively, no argument. Yeah, so it's tough. You know, you're, you're up against star power. He was phased. I don't know. It was okay. He, he, he could have had worse games. I mean, he did have Okay, I'm looking at the stat line. Five for 18. Wow. Yeah, he started out a lot worse than that, too. He was like one or two of seven in the first half, I think. Yeah. Yeah, he hit some big shots down the stretch, and then obviously Al Horford, Al Horford with that buzzer gear, which was sweet. Had 22, 10, and 5, which is pretty solid. And then those blocks, he had some sweet blocks too. Al Horford is, for those people who still say that he doesn't deserve his all-star nod, I resent you. Just have to say. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> um, Toronto on Tuesday, Washington later on in the week, both road games. And then we take on the Pacers and Victor Oladipo back at the Garden. All are currently playoff teams in the East. Toronto matchup is going to be crazy 
in that it actually matters more than most of the games we've played lately. Well, we'll be down to one. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. We, we, I think we're two games ahead of them right now, so we, we'd be down to a one-game lead if we lose to them. Yes. Granted, there's not anybody like really that close behind Toronto. No, I mean, really, it's just us two right now in terms of the top of the East, and everybody else is... Like, I think Cleveland is three or four games behind them. Indiana. Miami. Indiana is... Yeah, yeah. Miami. So, I mean, like, these, these teams are just, like... You know, if, if they still had Wall, I would say we would probably be at risk. We could, okay, first of all, we could lose to any of these teams. They're all good enough where if we don't bring at least our B game, all of these teams can beat us. I do think that Toronto actually stands a very good chance of beating us if Kyrie isn't back. Very good chance. We yeah. played, we, we match up much better now that they play this new style. Like, for whatever reason, even though they played kind of an archaic style until this season, we always had a really hard time with them. I actually think we're going to do better against them, but they're still very dangerous. Kyrie and Morris are both traveling with the team. So they are, at worst, I think, going to be questionable status. Yeah. But also, I mean, Kyrie coming back from Quad, he looked good in warm-ups. I was talking to my dad about it because they, they showed him warming up with an assistant coach. And he was just like, I felt so awful for that assistant coach because he had to defend Kyrie Irving, even in warm-ups. <laughs> I was like, here's this like 45-year-old dude who has to defend like arguably the best handling point guard in the NBA who's like 26. <laughs> He's got to try and pretend like he can stick with him. <laughs> the guy just like blowing by him each time. So, you know, I, I think back to that. I, I think he's going to be fine, but, you know, coming off a four-game injury, there, there may be a tiny bit of rust. And then up against Toronto, where it's a team that you can't really play – slowly against you gotta you know bring bring your a game against a team like toronto washington i think without wall it won't be too much of an issue and then the pacers really all you have to do is shut down oladipo and you got got pretty much all all your problems solved especially because i think miles turner is still just dealing with all of his injuries so i say two and one worst case scenario yeah i'll agree with that too though i don't necessarily think it's going to be toronto just they're the more likely loss on that slate yeah yeah, I won't say which which games go. I'll just say two in one week, and then, yeah, I think that's reasonable. Uh, MVP of the week. Who do you think it is? MVP of the week. Jalen Brown. Just because he has been Jalen Brown, not Al, not Al Horford. You don't think he's going to carry that momentum on? He's the, the MVP week? every week. Decide, like, oh, I'm going to become a machine. Yeah. It's like when they don't list Gordon Hayward being out because we all know he's out. <laughs> did you did you read my? I want them to one day. Just put him as questionable because I'm so annoyed by the injury report every single time having Gordon Hayward at the top saying out. It's like we already know that. We know that that exists. No, that's not new. Why even bother putting him on there? So I really want them one time to put questionable for just see what the other team does. Just like freak out all of the fans and like everyone in in the NBA. Like Gordon Hayward is questionable. He might be back tomorrow. (laughs) Like something like that. That would be a lot of fun. Media shitstorm. I know, and I I would feel awful for like all the. Maybe that's something that that Danny Ainge pulls as like a a side scheme while he's working on pulling a trade somewhere else. Check the date if it happens, because I can think of one day in particular it might. What is that? April first. Ah, you. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Sorry. Anyways, check out the links at the top of CelticsLife.com. As we have a huge variety of shirts and hoodies in our store, you can even get some tickets to the next game under the heading if you want to go to any of those games. Pacers is the next one in Boston. 
And you can find the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Google Play, now, Stitcher, and most podcatcher apps. Make sure you subscribe, and we would really appreciate it, as we said at the top of the show, if you gave us a five-star rating, as a couple people have started to do, which we really appreciate. And, you know, it really helps us just be seen by other basketball podcast listeners and other basketball fans. So we'd really appreciate your help. And if you don't like something, you have a suggestion, we really would appreciate any feedback you have. You can comment on our articles that we post the podcast in or on Twitter with our hashtag CLPod. Justin, anything else you want to hit on before we take off? Buckle up. It's about to get crazy. Yeah, it's going to be a fun. It's going to be a fun week. Obviously, keep your Twitter refreshed. Find a way to to stay updated on all the NBA news that happens, especially come Thursday when it starts to get even crazier as it's like T minus 24 hours. So it'll be a good time. We'll have it all here on Celtics Life. So thanks for listening, guys. Take care, y'all.